All right, we're, uh, we're going to transition. Uh, we are continuing to study through the book of Acts this morning, so if you want, you can grab your Bibles or open your, uh, your I guess people don't open their phones really anymore. You can turn on the screen to your phone uh, if that's what you have, and uh, we're going to go to Acts 21 this morning. And while you're doing that, let me ask a, a quick question. How many people have seen the movie Crash before? Raise your hand. Okay, so uh, I don't, it came out, I don't know how many, quite a few years ago, five, six, seven years ago, somewhere in there, somewhere in that range, but uh, a, a really uh, a, a great movie. What was unique about this movie was it took like four or five or six different subplots that were happening at the same time, seemingly unrelated, disconnected subplots that you kind of get invested to one and then you transition to the next one, you kind of get invested in this one and then you transition, you really have no idea what's going on. And at the end, all these things weave together and all these subplots kind of run together in the end of the story. They converge and they bring this great synopsis to the end of this, uh, this, this pretty uh, unique and, and cool movie. My hope this morning is to do something similar. Uh, in looking at Acts 21, I'm going to talk about three different elements that we see in Acts 21, seemingly uh, different and unrelated elements of Acts 21, and almost present them as three little mini-talks, and then at the end, hopefully I will bring them together. Hopefully we have enough time. At the end, I may just leave you hanging. We, we don't know whatever happens, but hopefully at the end we're able to kind of string all these things together. So hang on uh, and just understand that we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. So three different elements, three different little talks, all weaved into one. Hopefully we can bring uh, a conclusion at the end. Quick overview, Acts 21 is the beginning of a new section of Acts. It's the end of uh, Paul's third missionary journey. So his three main missionary journeys are done at this point. And Acts 21 begins um, kind of the last stage of Paul's life. And now he is on to Jerusalem. And so Acts 21 specifically looks at that and ultimately going to Rome. And so we kind of transition. He's no longer doing his missionary journeys. He's now on to Jerusalem, eventually on to uh, the epicenter of the Roman Empire in Rome. And that's what these last eight chapters of Acts, or seven chapters of Acts 21 through 28, look at. Uh, so that's where we're at. And uh, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in this morning. God, be with us today. Lord, we ask that your spirit would guide. We ask that your spirit would be active. We ask that your spirit would convict, would challenge, would encourage Lord, may our ears be open to hear the things that we need to hear. May our hearts be open to be transformed in the ways that they need to be transformed. Speak through your scripture this morning. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so my first talk, here's what it's entitled, The Importance of Community. The importance of community. Community in the Christian faith is absolutely critical. It is fundamental to everything about the Christian faith. A guy named Hellman uh, writes this book in uh, one of the first sentences in the entire book. It's about uh, the church being more like a family. He writes this, It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. 
I think long before Hellerman wrote these words, Paul understood this to be true. Paul's ministry throughout the New Testament is marked with incredible community. As much as he was an itinerary missionary moving from one city to the next, moving from one church to the next, going on these different missionary journeys, he always found himself within deep community along the way, staying with people, traveling with people, being in new churches. Community was something that was uh, woven in to his very ministry. Throughout Paul's travels, we can see the way that he develops people and allows himself to be in community. In chapter 21, we look at verse 1, and it says this, And when we parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and then the next day to the Rhodes, uh, to Rhodes, and then from there to Patara. And when we parted from them to set sail. So he's talking about the church in Ephesus. He's just been with the church for uh, several years, and now he's parting from Ephesus, and he's now going back to Jerusalem. And he says, And when we parted with them and set sail. It's kind of an ordinary way to say that they left. We parted ways. We parted with them and we left. Sounds like they left without consequence in a lot of ways. But to get a sense of how just important this community in Ephesus was to Paul, you have to understand the Greek structure of this sentence and the word is apaspao. And it means when we tore ourselves away from them. When we tore ourselves away from them. Parting sounds like something you do after a dinner party with work people. You kind of part ways. Or maybe when a business partnership ultimately fizzles, you part ways. But being torn away from someone reminds me of the scene when a mom first leaves her child for the first time with a new babysitter. That sense of being torn away from your child. The idea of being torn away invokes feelings of emotion and angst. Paul had become a part of the community in every sense of the word in the church of Ephesus. They were his family. And so Paul didn't simply part from a group of people that he was staying with. He had to literally tear himself away from a community of people that he deeply, deeply loved. He'd spent his life, a lot of his life there, a lot of his ministry there. And now he's tearing himself away from this family, this church family. A few verses later, in uh, verse 5, he's now, he's torn himself away and he's now in Tyre for seven days. And the disciples uh, there, the women and the children, the disciples, they follow Paul to the edge of the city. He was just there for seven days. Now he's traveling again. They follow him to the edge of the city and it says, kneeling down before he left, they prayed for him and said goodbye. They traveled with him to the edge of the city and they kneel, they fall on their knees and they begin to pray for Paul as he sets sail again. I cannot remember the last time that I drove our house guests to the McDonald's right off the freeway and Ash knelt and prayed for them as they drived off on the freeway. That's just not something that we do. Oftentimes, if we were really honest, we probably spend more time thinking about how we can get our house guests out of our house. But these people traveled with him to the edge of the city. They knelt. They prayed for him as he left. I think Luke records these instances for a reason. I think he records these things 
to show the importance of community. Just how critical it was that those small communities banded together as families. You see, it's kind of easy to romanticize this idea of Paul as like a, a lone wolf out there going from city to city. And he didn't need anybody. He didn't need anything. He just would show up at a church and speak this message. And then he would travel to a different place. And he was kind of a maverick in that way. And it, I think sometimes I think about Paul in that way. But the scripture doesn't really record that. It records more of a man traveling to a place and deeply vesting into people. And then breaking his heart when he has to leave those people. You see, wherever Paul went, whatever the circumstance was, he surrounded himself with others. He lived in and ministered through communities. Community was absolutely critical for Paul. It was not just something that happened around him either. It was something that he created, something that he sought, something that he worked for. It was not by chance that he always had people around him. It was because it was one of his deepest priorities was to be with other people, was to share life with other people, was to be a family with other people. He was unwilling to do life by himself. He was unwilling to do ministry by himself, and so he brought people alongside. He stayed with churches. He deeply vested in them. He built family in these communities. I think the same is true for us, that community does not just happen. Community is built. Community is forged. Community is cultivated. It takes a willingness to bend and to give and to work. In a lot of ways, it means that you open your lives to more inconvenience. But also greater joy, greater depth. If Hellerman's quote is true, and I believe that it is, then we will not grow and we will not thrive until we allow ourselves to live like Paul in the midst of community. Talk number two. When mistakes happen, no matter how well-intentioned we are, no matter how in tune with the Holy Spirit we are, there are times that we will make mistakes. How many people have found that to be true? Good. For those of you who did not raise your hand, you're just frankly not listening, and that's okay. <laughs> so what happens when we do? What happens when we make mistakes? Do we shut down out of fear, or do we allow God to continue to work through us? When we make that mistake, do we go inward and kind of shut down, pull ourselves away, or do we allow God to work through us? I meet with a lot of people. Part of uh, my job here is just to be with people. New people come in. We have that coffee thing on the website, and so people that come here for one week will send this request to meet with coffee, and we go and we talk about what this church is and, and why we do the things we do, and then there are people that have been here for a long time and they want to know how to get involved and what does it look like to be in a small group. So I drink a lot of coffee over the course, I drank a lot of coffee this morning, as you can tell, over the course of a week, and the, you know, the most common thing that I hear from people when I begin to talk about, hey, how are you involved? Would you like to serve in any way? Are you serving in the community? The most common thing I hear is this sense of, well, I don't know if I'm adequate. I don't know if I'm quite 
ready. You know what that translates to? What people are really saying when they say that? I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I can't serve because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. What if I made a mistake? I'm not ready because I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to be exposed in that way. Now, granted, when we read Acts, I think sometimes it's easy to read through these 28 chapters and kind of feel inadequate compared to Peter and to Paul and some of these first Christians. I mean, these these dudes were unbelievable. It's easy to read through and be like, well, I'm never going to be like that. There's no way. But what if, we just take Paul for example, what if they weren't perfect in their ministry? I mean, what if Paul had made a, a mistake along the way? What if Paul had failed along the way. Look at verse 4 here, and I think we might see something interesting. Having stopped in Tyree for seven days, like I said, he's staying there with disciples, and at the end of verse 4, the scripture says this, and through the Spirit, the disciples were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And through the Spirit, the disciples were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Earlier in Acts, we see, uh, and, and we know that Paul has an idea about what might happen to him when he goes to Jerusalem. Verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 23, he says this, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But Paul clearly trusted in that first call that we see in chapter 9 as the Spirit speaks through Ananias. And he says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is the chosen instrument, Paul is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. So Paul is sold on this idea of getting back to Jerusalem. In 19, Paul's resolve to get to Jerusalem comes very apparent. He says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Acacia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Paul is resolved to make it to Jerusalem. His focus was to get back there, to bring the gospel to the center, the nation of Israel, which brings us back to verse 4, chapter 21. And through the Spirit, the disciples were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. The wording of this verse almost makes it sound like Paul was instructed by the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem at the time that he was planning to go. If this is the case, let's say, let's just dream this way, let's think this way. If this was the case, then did Paul make a mistake in going? Was his agenda to get back to Jerusalem at that time clouding his ability to properly hear from the Holy Spirit? Before you check me off as a heretic who's saying that Paul made a mistake and I'm interpreting Scripture wrong, know that there are many, many commentators who look at this verse and say this is a critical mistake in Paul's ministry. There are many people with way more letters after their name than mine. I don't have any letters after mine. Not even a junior or anything. I mean, nothing. (laughs) That have read this and said, we think Paul makes a mistake here. You see, there's only really two ways to interpret verse 4. Either the Spirit is speaking through the disciples, telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem, or the disciples received a word, but spoke it incorrectly. 
They received a a prophecy, but they spoke it incorrectly. And Paul was, in fact, to go to Jerusalem at that time. For the sake of this morning, let's just think outside the box. Let's Let's say the Spirit instructed him not to go, but he went anyways. Let's say he made a mistake. Let's say he was so focused on getting back to Jerusalem that he allowed his agenda to become more important than the Spirit's direction. For just a moment, let's side with those commentators. So if Paul made a mistake, if he disregarded the Spirit, then certainly his ministry must have suffered, right? I mean, he does suffer greatly for the gospel in Jerusalem. He's arrested and imprisoned for two years, but obviously that's not the case. The ministry through Paul kept going. God continued to use Paul. I mean, it's actually during these two years that he writes some of the most powerful New Testament letters, the book of Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. These books have testified to God's grace and mercy and God's joy in Christ. They have encouraged people and challenged Christians for two millennia. God continued to to use Paul. Even when he was unable to travel and probably do what he did best, travel with the gospel. Even when he was unable to do that, unable to expand and move the kingdom by moving from city to city, God uses Paul. If he did make a mistake in that moment, God continued to use him. Here's why I think this is important and why I ask you just to think outside the box a little bit this morning is because this. I think we as Christians are too often paralyzed by the fear of choosing the wrong thing. I think we're paralyzed by the possibility of maybe making a mistake or the possibility that we might fail at some point. And so we allow that fear to dictate our actions. We allow that fear to dictate our movement. When we read the book of Acts, I'm not sure that Paul was all that afraid of failing. I'm not sure Paul was all that afraid about making a mistake. I think Paul was really only concerned with making Christ known. And that when he did make mistakes, when he came up against resistance, he just kept making Christ known to others. So let me ask this question of you, and you don't have to raise your hands this morning. You can if you want, but you don't have to. How many of us have not moved towards something good because of our fear of screwing up? Because of our fear of making a mistake or our fear of failing? I grew up uh, playing soccer for a lot of my life. Uh, I had a friend on my soccer team. We played this club soccer team, and so we traveled uh, throughout the, the state of Washington. We traveled a lot, and I had this friend, and I kind of grew up with him playing from a very early age, and we played all the way uh, up until about 16, 17 years old. And this friend of mine was uh, that guy on the team that always was nursing an injury. He was always injured. We never quite knew how he was injured, but there was always something. It was uh, shin splints or a hip or a shoulder, whatever. I mean, just whatever it was. He would come and practice, but come game time, there was always an injury, and he, he may play a little bit, but he would soon enough have to come out. 
he was injured. He didn't play a lot, but he was a part of the team uh, during practices, and he would be at all the games, but he just could never really be relied on in that way. And after growing up and beyond soccer, and now that we're into adults, into adulthood, we've, uh, I, I've had a chance to talk to him, and, and we're connected uh, to a degree. And we discussed why he was always injured, and I was just kind of joking about it, assuming he was always injured. And I come to find out that he was never really that injured. He was just terrified. He was terrified of getting out on the field and screwing up. He was terrified that if he got out there and it came down to that time where the game really relied on him to do something, he might make a mistake. And he would let the team down. And in doing this, what he missed was that the team was way bigger than his mistakes ever could have been. And in never allowing himself to make a mistake or possibly make a mistake out there, he actually never allowed himself to help the team or really be a part of the team. Our fear of failing, our fear of making mistakes not only limits our ability to help advance the kingdom, but I actually think it displays that we don't trust that God is bigger than us. We don't trust that God is bigger than our mistakes or bigger than our failings. Now, if we look at verse 4, to be honest, I'm not sure that I believe Paul makes a mistake in going to Jerusalem when he does. But what I love about this story, what I love about looking at Scripture and maybe looking at it from a different perspective, a different point of view, is that we get to see how God can use us even if we do make a mistake. Because there is no mistake, not even one that leads to imprisonment that could hold God back from using you. And I would be as bold to say that I actually think it's more honoring to God that you move, possibly making mistakes along the way, than being mistake-free while standing still. So take comfort in the fact that God is bigger than your mistakes and move toward the Lord without fear. Talk number three. Being all in. Uh, how many people have ever turned on ESPN and seen the six-hour coverage of Texas Hold'em tournaments? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's like on all the time. I don't even know who watches those things, but it's on all the time. Texas Hold'em, this poker game, of course, nobody in New Community would ever do poker or play poker because we just wouldn't. Um, very holy here. Texas Hold'em. Uh, is this, uh, it's this poker game, and uh, you play against other people, and the big thing in Texas Hold'em is being all in. Being all in is where you put all your chips, all the money that you have in front of you, and they're doing all those fancy chip things with their hands. They put all their money in, and they say, I'm all in. They leave nothing left. They have no more cushion. Everything they have is staked on their ability to play the hand that has been dealt to them. It's the most brash, most confident, the most vulnerable position to be in. You either win it all or you lose it all. It means that you have given everything. The most important element this morning of these three elements that we're talking about is the fact that Paul was all in with his life. He was all in 
with his life. Everything he had, he staked it on the gospel of Christ. Everything he had. We see it acutely in verse 14 when he says in response to uh, this prophecy that he receives, it says, uh, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? This is when the people are pleading with him, no, 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 don't go to Jerusalem. He says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to hold me back because I will die for Jesus Christ. There was nothing that frightened Paul. Nothing would hold Paul back. He was all in. Later in the passage, when the elders in Jerusalem wanted Paul to prove that he still believed that Jews could, not, uh, could actually hold on to some of their customs and follow Jesus, he voluntarily, or voluntarily agrees to sponsor four devout Jewish men and he himself take part in this purification ritual just to prove, guys, I'm, I'm still all about Jewish people holding their customs. Watch. I'll sponsor these guys. I'm going to pay for them. And I myself am going to go through this ritual to show that you can be a follower of Christ and you can still hold on to some of your culture, some of your customs as a Jewish person. A Jewish person. The church in Jerusalem were questioning Paul's teachings along the way. And so they're asking him to do this as a show of faith. Reminds us of what he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 23, when he says this, To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You see, Paul was willing to go to any lengths, to become like anyone, to do anything for the gospel of Christ. Like a poker player, Paul was all in with every single hand that he was dealt. Have you ever been around somebody that's all in about something? They're all in on this facet of life. Some of you may or may not know, I recently opened a small business. I had a privilege of spending some of my yesterday afternoon with my business partner. Could you show that first slide up here? Oh, that's sideways. That's not cool. So turn your head like this, everybody. So that's me on the right, and that's uh, Isabel Jones. Isabel Jones is uh, one of the Jones family members. They've been in our small group through, uh, for a number of years. And about 12 weeks ago, she came up to me and was talking about an American Girl doll that she wants to buy. How many people are familiar with American Girl dolls? They're quite spendy dolls. They're like 100 bucks. I said, Isabel, how much money do you have? And she said, I think I have like 20 bucks or something. <laughs> I said, well, how are we going to make money? I mean, if you want this doll, how are you going to earn the money to get this doll? And we begin to come up with ideas. And again, this is 12 weeks ago, three months. We begin to talk about what it would look like to open a lemonade stand together. A little business venture. And so we entered into a partnership. I'm a silent partner in this one. 
I help with the setting up and some of the selling. For the last 12 weeks, Isabel and I have been exchanging text messages through her mom's phone and my phone. We've been exchanging video messages about different ways that we could strategize how we could uh, best make this lemonade stand work. We had it scheduled three weeks ago, but it wasn't hot enough, and so we pushed it to yesterday afternoon. And the business was an absolute success. She spent all of her own money on buying the uh, lemonade and the ice. She marketed by telling our small group and by making posters. We spent any number of hours discussing different pricing strategies for cups. (laughs) We learned how to make change when we need to make change. We were constantly looking at the weather of what would possibly be the hottest day, and it was yesterday. (laughs) Can you show this next picture here? I hope this one's not sideways too, but it might be. Is there no other picture? Yep, sideways. Sorry, guys. So again, turn your head this way. That's us yesterday afternoon. We were open from 3 to 5. We made $61 at our lemonade stand. From our first conversation 12 weeks ago, there was never a doubt that there was going to be a lemonade stand this summer. Bell has been all in for this lemonade stand for the last 12 weeks. And it was actually pretty contagious. The fact that we had adults coming, not, not even living in this neighborhood, adults driving across the city to come and be a part of this lemonade stand. And because of her hard work, she made $61. I only took 35 of it, so it's... <laughs> Totally, she's well on her way to that doll. You see, the Christian faith is not something that can just be half-heartedly approached. You need to be all in. When the time comes, either you commit with everything you have, or I believe you have to choose a different path. So you have to ask yourself, are we all in? Are you all in? Are you all in with your finances? Are you all in with your time? Are you all in with your relationships, with your priorities? Think about it this way. If I were to ask those to raise your hands, and again, don't do this right now, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand right now, if you considered yourself all in with everything that you had, would you have to think about it for a moment? Or would your hand just go up? Our lives speak So they are either speaking to the fact that we serve a king and live in his kingdom, or they don't. For Paul, he says this in in Philippians 1.21, he says it by making this statement, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So what does this mean for us? It means that we have to make a choice. Just like Bell chose to be all in 12 weeks ago for this lemonade stand, or Paul chose every morning to be all in with everything for the gospel, now we have to choose. Are we all in? In Revelation, there is this strong admonishment. Through the prophecy John receives, Jesus says this, I know your works, you were neither cold nor hot. With that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I spit you out of my mouth. We cannot be luke 
warm. So what will you choose? Let me try to bring these three talks together. Here is what I think this all means. I think there's a critical importance to community in our lives. I think we have to understand and be willing to make mistakes. And I think we have to be all in. So what do these all have to do with each other? Well, these are the markers of the life of Paul, and I believe they are elements that need to be present in our lives. They need to be present in our lives. You can't be a follower of Christ if you're unwilling to be in community. I just don't think you can do it. I don't think you'll ever be able to fully engage in ministry if the fear of failing dictates your actions. I just think it's too hard. And if I were real honest and to make a bold statement, I would say unless you are all in with your life, you might actually not be following Jesus Christ. The beauty of the book of Acts is that it helps to inform us about the beginnings of the Christian faith, but it also serves as a model for how we are to live and conduct ourselves. And I believe we can do that when we look at these three elements in Acts 21, and I think we can be reminded of our need for community. We can be encouraged and freed in the fact that God can use us even when we make mistakes. And we can be challenged to live unapologetically all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me?